You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, Luke Hector here for another episode of the Broken Meeple Show. I actually can't remember exactly which episode number this is, but ah uh, well, you know what it is, you're listening to it. Uh, yeah, this is a pretty bumper episode we're getting on here, because not only have I been to a convention recently, so I've got a couple of games I've played I want to talk about, but on top of that, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the board game world in terms of news announcements for games and that, and awards, that I've just got to talk about them all, what this episode, and then later on, I'm going to be talking in detail about the Dice Tower or award nominations which I did put some effort to because I'm part of that sort of Dice Tower Awards group and I'm curious to see what they are because I've not actually looked at the nominations yet because I wanted to do it like effectively live and uncut from this angle so cool but I mean there's a lot to get on with but generally yeah you know good morning to you this is uh yeah this is morning 20 past 10 in the morning 17th of april this is easter sunday so if you're out there hunting easter eggs and gorging on chocolate that's totally fine with me me i am trying to cut down a little bit you know alcohol at the odd point of cider and that is kind of my treat but i am really trying to see if i can get my diet under control and really get to the gym as often as i can because i've only got 45 odd days before my brother gets married and i need to lose a bit of gut weight a little bit of flab off my chest chest in that because otherwise I'm going to feel really uncomfortable in what I've got to wear for this wedding and I just got to like Ugh. in the middle of June I don't want to be some flabby Ugh. you know it's, it's horrible I don't like hot weather I don't like being sweaty uh, you know unless I'm at the gym or you know in a steam room where it's warranted and I don't like wearing formal wear I don't have to go suit and boot for this wedding but I do have to wear half you know a pretty decent looking blazer and trousers and that and it's just Ugh. why can't we just dress casual for weddings why has it got to be so formal i'm not a formal person which given i'm a tax accountant it's kind of weird and ironic but dress for your diary is now a thing these days and clients pretty much never visit you anymore because we're in post-covid season remote working is a thing nobody wants to travel to an office when you can just talk on the phone or on teams so i never see clients which means i just dress like this at work when i just feel totally comfortable and i'm totally fine with that if only it could be like that forever that's what i entirely want here, I've got wires sticking out of everywhere with this camera set up, but, uh, ah, well, we'll just go with it. I mean, that's, oh, there we go. Try and get the uh, wires out, haha, <laughs> for those watching in the video. So, yeah, uh, just generally with the channel, things are starting to pick up now. I had a break because I had COVID for two weeks, and then I had the convention, had family stuff, and then a busy social life. The thing is, April is very busy for me in the social aspect. Birthday, family, Easter, two conventions now because I'm going to Bacon this week uh, for five days. Um, multiple like social events are happening. It, it just, a lot happens in April and it's a great month. It's my favorite month of the year by far, but it's just a lot happened. So, you know, content was a little bit like mm, ho-hum for the first uh, couple of weeks. We're now back on track. I did a, what did I do? I can't remember now. Uh, I got the Megabox Cracks of Quedlinburg expansion, so that one is uh, a Zatu-sponsored video, of which I need to announce the winner of the giveaway from that, I think, at the end of tonight, which is basically just a random choice from the YouTube comments, 
which Zatu are going to post to the UK somebody a copy of the Quacks of Quedlinburg Megabox. So uh, hopefully one of you is able to win that. Uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning into that video. I mean, two and a half thousand views for a Beyond the Base game video. That's insane for me. My Beyond the Base game series is one I enjoy doing because I like talking about expansions. They're my favorite part in board games and nobody really talks about them but the problem is, not a lot of people watch them either. I struggle to get a lot of views for these videos. So to get two and a half thousand for this one is insane. Now I hope that's not just because of the giveaway. I hope there was actually a distinct like for watching this particular video. Or maybe Quacks of Quedlinburg is just so popular that everybody wanted to see it. But hey, I'm not going to complain if a video gets a bunch of views or more to the point gets a bunch of comments and likes. That's the main thing. You know, 150 likes for that video and four people who just want to see me crash and burn and dislike everything, it seems. But yeah, that one went pretty well. Uh, the Autobahn Kickstarter preview that you see here is not yet up yet. I had it ready last Tuesday, but uh, Alley Cat Games, this is a Kickstarter from Alley Cat Games, um, which... But I'm not going to say anything about what I think of it. I'm going to have to wait for the video. But they are releasing the Kickstarter for this on Tuesday. It's Kickstarter GameFound, I think it's that. But, yeah, I think it's a GameFound page. But the next Tuesday, they're going to release it officially. And so they asked if I could release it on Tuesday. They want to release all the people who have, like, previewed this on the same day. Fine. That's cool. You know, it's they sponsored it. They gave me a Kickstarter preview copy, so they can call the shots, I'm afraid. But yeah, you'll get that on Tuesday. So that is just in schedule. You'll get it. They like it. So I look forward to like showing that to you. Alley Cat Games are kind of like the exception to the rule because I say I don't want to do Kickstarter preview videos anymore. And to be honest, I don't really. Kickstarter preview videos, I just, it's hard to talk about something when it's a prototype copy, it's not finished, and you can't easily give your opinion on it because you risk backlash from the people doing it. Remember Ahal? Yeah, I had a little bit of backlash from people on that one. You know, it's like, you know, talking about various aspects of it. It's like, yeah, but it's a prototype, it's not finished yet. Yeah, but I'm still going to give you my opinion on the game as it stands now so that's kind of the way it is and that didn't go down too well but then Alley Cat games are great you know they watch the show they they like the fact that i'm honest about these things and i give you my honest thoughts pros and cons about autobahn in this video so you know hopefully you'll get a decent idea from that but you know this is probably like the last kickstarter preview video i want to do for a long time maybe once in a blue moon I'll do another one but again it's going to have to be somebody I know somebody reputable somebody who doesn't mind that I give an opinion you know I'm going to be very very picky about this so could people please stop emailing me with your indie publisher kickstarters like requests or so I get I mean I'm grateful to get any emails frankly on that front but I'm just not in it for Kickstarter previews. There are plenty of channels that do that already. They do a good job, but as you know, my thoughts on those sort of things, I don't like it when it's just, here's the game, go buy it, hype, hype, hype type Kickstarter channels. That I don't approve of. But anyway, that's the case. But a decent other video we've got is the top 10 non-essential expansions. This is when I decided that I was going to effectively, uh, you know, I was, I was going to like say, well, you know what? I want to do collaborations with other people. And that's still happening. Don't worry. That, that hasn't stopped. I've got Ninja Geek Games, Solo Playthroughs, and One Pit Wonder on my short list for like people who want to come on the show and are giving me ideas. And it's like, great. I want to get those three on. It will happen. Okay. I've got to get in touch with them and we'll arrange some dates. But April was just kind of busy in COVID and that. So I thought, well, hang on. I need to get more top 10 lists out. 
I do want to do more professional ones, yes, and there will be one of those. I'm going to hopefully tomorrow probably record uh, top 10 worker placement games. Uh, that was the most requested one on my Patreon list recently, so uh, I'm going to do that, and that's going to be a proper professional top 10. But I want to get more top 10s out in general and get more content out because obviously it takes me a long time to record and edit that. So I figured let's try a solo live stream top 10. So I did my top 10 non-essential grade expansions list. It was live streamed. It's a 90 minute video, but honestly, the, it's about an hour for the actual top 10. The other half hour is kind of me interacting with the chat and getting their suggestions and talking about honorable mentions. I wanted to try and keep the video to about an hour, 75 minutes. I didn't do a very good job of it, but what what can I say? I just like talking to people on my live streams. You know, if you don't like long videos, then, well, that's your problem, not mine. But, you know, you can always just listen to it in audio form or watch it in bits. It's perfectly doable. <laughs> but, you know, do you watch the entirety of a three-hour movie in one go? Is that, you know, sometimes, but sometimes you just want to take a break in between. But it's a cool list. I enjoyed it. And I thought it was good. People were quite pleasantly receptive on the idea of me doing the StreamYard version of a solo top 10 list. So I think for the more obscure topics, I'm going to do these solo live streams a bit more often with the top 10s. Because then you can get top 10s on all sorts of topics. You know, you know, top 10 worker placement games is quite a big one. Like that needs to be a professional one because loads of people are going to tune into that. Something like top 10 non-essential expansions, maybe not so much. You know, the next one I want to do on here maybe might be top 10 games with quick setup. You know, that kind of thing. That's a kind of more obscure title. Probably not worthy of a full production video, but something for this. But yeah, that's uh, doing okay so far. But as you can see, the content is coming. It is back. It is, you know, I'm on go. Now, granted, I do have um, Bacon this week, and I will be there full time from Wednesday through the Sunday, of which I'll be mainly just playing games, uh, hanging out with Paul Grogan, gaming rules. Uh, we may be doing something on, on uh, Sunday, you know, I'll let him announce that, but uh, yeah, you know, you've got something to look forward to. All I can say is, uh, uh, he's probably going to kill me for spoiling, but uh, I don't know, if all goes well, I'm not going to guarantee it's happening, because obviously it's his uh, timetable and that, but maybe just keep your Sunday afternoons free, okay? But yeah, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but obviously I can't make content while I'm at Bacon, so Tuesday you're going to get the Autobahn episode. And then I'll try and get some episodes done today for Beyond the Base Game, for two that Asmodee have given me, uh, the Isle of Cats expansions, I've got that one, and I've just played through the entirety of Sinister Motives, the uh, Marvel Champions expansion, I want to do a video for that. So I'm going to try and get one of those at least ready to air during the week, if I can get both, fantastic, but then hopefully that will tie you over until I get back next week. Right, uh, uh, other than that... Things are good. I look forward to Baycon. If you're going there, please let me know. I hope to see you there and play some cool games. And yeah, just keep an eye. Thumb up the videos. Like them. Check me out on Instagram. In fact, my Instagram channel is starting to build up a little bit more now in terms of followers, which is really cool. So by all means, if you're not on my Instagram, you know, check that out because I think the community there is just 20 times better than any of the other social media channels. Facebook, you know, Twitter especially. You know, TikTok can get in the sea as far as I'm concerned. You know, just I just... Instagram's where is that thing? Oh, a nice bit of honey lemon tea to keep my throat in check. Right, right, well, well, let's actually get on with some content. So, let's talk on a positive note about PAX Renaissance 2nd Edition. Luke, are you feeling okay? Did you just say positive content on PAX Renaissance? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. What do you want to do about it? <laughs> I did say positive. But, Luke, this is a PAX game. You don't like 
PAX games, right? Um, to be honest, this is the second PAX game I've played, but yeah, you're probably thinking I'm a little bit ill right now. I'm saying positive stuff about a PAX game. Well, to be honest, I played PAX Premier 2nd Edition once only, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't the optimal player count. I think we had five people, and I thought it was a bit long, but it was a, I thought it was a fine game. It was weird. It was difficult to kind of understand what I was doing, but I think I jointly won it with a friend. Well, can you jointly win? Perhaps I did win it. I can't remember, but uh, it was an all right game, and I would like to play it. But my friend is interested in these types of games, and he's got PAX Renaissance 2nd Edition, and I saw them play it at uh, Shake, Battle, and Roll, and I was curious, because they were having a good time, and I thought... Okay, so it's got a it's got an interesting like map board. It's got chess pieces all over it that you are, you know, placing on this map with cards that you can acquire. You grab cards from a tableau, these go into your own sort of like east and west uh, tableau where you can activate all the cards on either east or west. The board state changes with who owns what, what religion is part of what country, which king is under whose control, and this goes back and forth with all the players and I thought Okay, this is interesting. You know, I want to give this one a look. Now, I've got no idea about this theme at all. <laughs> this theme means nothing to me. I can't even remember what it's really about. Your Renaissance bankers and your try to maybe I'll I'm going to have to read the blurb because, frankly, I can't remember the theme. It means so little to me. Uh, and I read, as a Renaissance banker, you will finance kings or republics, sponsor voyages of discovery, join secret cabals, or unleash jihads and inquisitions. Your choices determine if Europe is elevated into the bright modern era or remains festering in dark feudalism. <sighs> yeah, whatever. This theme, has, I, I, I do not care about this theme. I'm not a history buff. I'm not that interested. Whatever. It's more for other people. But... Having these chess pieces on the board with like different colors, the different religions and controlling different areas and that trade routes where you can get money depending on where your concession pawns are. There was a lot of mechanics in this. Maybe a few too many rules, though. When I got taught this game, I thought like I was going to, my head was going to explode with the amount of rules overhead that was in this. And then you played the game and it was over in about an hour. I thought, okay, that was a lot of rules you just taught me for a 60-minute game here, chaps. That just seemed a little bit over the top. Because you got these player aids which are loaded with information, which are useful player aids. Not going to deny. They give you the keywords you need to know. But man, it's a lot of stuff you got to do. Please tell me this guy is not playing with this uh, five-year-old or whatever. No way. No way is this, like, five-year-old on the screen here playing PAX Renaissance. No, I call hacks on that. <laughs> There's no way that is happening. But, oh, well, maybe I'm just underestimating kids. But the game is quite interesting. I, I don't care about the thieves. All these cards mean nothing to me. Some dude comes in, something the handsome, or, you know, what have we got here? I don't know, Elizabeth uh, Factory. I can't even read the name on there. Can I zoom in more? Can I zoom in more and see where she is? Uh, come on, let's have a look. Uh, let's see, uh, Catherine of Nevers, uh, Elizabeth Bathory, I have no idea who these people are, this is not my theme, what does it matter, but the game is mainly about these cards, you trigger the actions, you can put bishops on other people's cards to like silence them off, there's four victory conditions, you have to wait for comic cards to come out to unlock 
a victory condition. You choose what it is if you buy the card. So you're going for something that you're hopefully going to win, but then other people might sneak in and grab a different victory condition. There's a lot of interaction in this game. And yeah, you're going to get hosed a bit now and again. And you may end up in a situation where you've just got no way to win. That can suck a bit. But then the game is not that long, so you don't feel like it's quite as punishing as some other games that could take four hours. Um, I played it twice at free player. I thought it was decent, but I thought with free players, you have a problem where one player gets hosed and can't pull it back, and two people are basically just fighting for supremacy. In the first game I played, I felt like I was just king-making one of them in turn. So... I had no idea what I was doing, and it just didn't quite feel as rewarding. But I got the gist of the game. Like, oh, this is some good stuff here. Can we play it again? We played it last night on TTS, on Friday night on Tabletop Simulator. And that was a four-player game, and I think it works a lot better at four. You know, four people controlling this map, interactions, and I was about to win it. I was literally about to win it. I had everything planned. I was in the lead. I had pretty much the entire East to myself. And then my mate just pulled it out at the last second by grabbing a comic card because nobody else paid attention to what she was doing and she sneaked out a different victory. I felt so ripped off I couldn't believe it. It it was a gut punch. I felt like I deserved that game. But fine. She did it. She got it. She got the victory. Fine. All fair play to her. But Sarah say, was I the only one concentrating on what she was doing? I don't know. But I say, this is an interesting game. I like it, I don't love it. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. I would enjoy playing this game. I wouldn't own it. I'm glad it doesn't look like a complete dog's dinner, like the first one edition of it did. The second edition at least does look a little bit better, although, to be honest, that cover is not really selling me. It's, you know, some dude in a feather hat with a chess piece packs Renaissance. I mean, this basically just gives you the impression of beige when you look at it. But, yeah, I thought the interactions with this was pretty good. Do I prefer it to Premiere? Maybe. This one just feels shorter than Premiere, but honestly, I need to play Premiere again. Preferably with four players max and give it a try. But yeah, these two PAX games have actually interested me. Now, I've looked at other PAX games, Transhumanity and another one, Emancipation. I don't hear a lot of good stuff about Emancipation. Most people are kind of like, they, they really don't like that one. And Transhumanity just looks horrible aesthetically. I don't want to go near it for how poor it looks. Give me a nice second edition of either of those and I might be interested. Particularly Transhumanity might actually have a theme that appeals to me a lot more than Renaissance bankers. I mean, seriously, was anybody crying out for that theme to be represented in a game? I don't know. But yeah, solid. And, you know, I definitely would enjoy playing this again. It's just not one I would own, but my friend has it. He loves it. It's one of his favorite games. And you know what? Fair play. We get to play it more often. So, right, you were thinking, hmm, okay, Luke, you've been interested. You've been nice about a game. This is good. But, you know, being nice is all well and good, but I want to see some angry rants. Oh, you're going to get an angry rant here. The second game I recall from, well, I played PAX Renaissance on TDS and, and at a game night, right? This is one that I, the first game I played, I think, at... Uh, was it the first game? Yeah, I think it was the first game at the Shake, Battle and Roll I played. And granted, I requested the game, okay? I requested it. I, you know, I like to try new games. I like to venture out of my comfort zone. So understand that this game is not in my wheelhouse, typically. But like with Pulsar 2849 and even PAX Renaissance, to be honest. I mean, that's certainly not in my wheelhouse. You do find some hidden gems, and if you're not willing to expand your mind and try these other games, you're never truly going to be, like, you know, 
like have a broad knowledge of games if you're not willing to give these other games a try. You'll be too close-minded. However, Imperial Steam can get in the sea because Imperial Steam sucks. I hate this game. This is a contender for like a top 20, top 25 most hated games, okay? This game, I requested because I thought, you know what? They enjoy it. I want to try it. Capstone Games, you know, managed to bring it back for me with Glass Road and uh, Ark Nova. So, and although technically is that more Furland really when it comes to Ark Nova? I don't know. But like I say, I thought, why not? And to be honest, the people at Capstone Game are nice. So I thought, I'll, I'll give it a try. Maybe this could be a train game I enjoy. I don't know. There have been some train games I have enjoyed, but they're not typical train games. This is a typical train game. And I despise it. This game is not only... Well, here's a bunch of problems with this game, okay? Firstly, the setup time is ludicrous. It took forever for people who knew how to play the game to set this up. There is so much randomization with half these tiles, half of which don't really mean that much, and it just takes forever. And then you've got all the player pieces you've got. Then you've got this track up here with the workers. You've got the different tokens over this. You've got to set up your... You know, your workers where you've got this influence chart, you've got to put all these cubes on the market, you've got all these, uh, this timer track that's got unique stuff on it, you've got all different tiles for the actions. There is so much on this map and that to set up, it's ridiculous. And then you get this stupid bidding phase at the start. And this is kind of what started this downward spiral for me on this game. Uh, well, actually, maybe before I get onto that, maybe I should explain what this game is. It's basically a heavy train game where, again, industrial age, train game, who cares? Boring theme. But it's basically an economic and logistics game. That means that you have to get from point A to point B, effectively. I forget the names, whatever. But you know, you're trying to get from one corner of the map to the other. Doing so triggers the end of the game. You can connect to different cities en route. But while you're doing that, you are building factories which generate certain goods. You're buying them from the market. You're trying to upgrade your trains a little bit to carry more space. You're also getting investors with uh, you know that give you money depending on the share price or whatever you know you don't buy shares it's just a track on a board but whatever and you can sell these goods and cities as you go along you can build uh, like stations as you go along you recruit more workers to build tracks and it's basically a case of right somehow efficiently i need to maintain my money and get from this side of the board to the other and of course score the ball victory points this game is one of the tightest games i've ever played i mean i thought I thought Cooper Island was tight. This game is a whole other level of tight. And I don't mean tight in a good way. This thing strangles you every chance it gets for your money. Money is so tight you are most of the time thinking that I am way too short to do anything on my turn. Every turn feels like a chore. It feels, I mean, for some people, I get it. You're going to be like, you're going to feel rewarded by the fact that you're able to maintain your money in that as well. But this game just constantly punishes you. If you are short on any kind of money, you can't do anything on your turn. Nothing. And there's no way to recover from this. There are actions on the top of the board, and most people are doing the same four actions all the time, right? But there's a bunch of throwaway ones at the end, like get 10 bucks as an action. And actions are in short supply in this game. So doing that is a pretty pitiful action. Funny enough, I had to do it often enough. But there's also a pass action if you really don't want to do anything. Again, a pitiful action. But the game punishes you on influence if you do the same action twice. Now, I get that with some of the more 
main actions that you do, like building tracks, and that means you can't spam something. But it also does that if you do the little things like get 10 bucks or even pass. This game punishes you for passing twice. That is unheard of. Is that even... Why? Why punish me for the fact that I'm already having a bad day? It's like I've just basically been kicked in the stomach, I'm on the floor, I'm recoiling in pain, I'm winded, and then the game says, oh, by the way, I kick you in the nuts. It's like, seriously, this is so punishing, and I hate punishing games like this. But that's a, like, a sort of small nitpick. The game itself just, just, it just feels so restrictive. All the many turns, I feel like I'm just doing pitiful actions because I just can't do anything. You know, it's really hard to micromanage your money in this. It's really hard to get what you want. And somebody runs away with the game and, like, goes across the board. And you just feel like you're there for nearly three hours. Just like, well, I can't really do anything. I, what am I supposed to do? I can't afford this. I can't afford that. And so I'm just sitting here going through the motions. But then it gets worse. There's an influence bid at the start of the game, as I mentioned. Uh, so yeah, this influence track here, right? You are supposed to bid on this thing to see how far up the influence track you are. And there are shields at the top, which represent these uh, bat the very top corner here. You might not be able to see, but it's basically a worker track. Four different places you can buy workers, and the price goes up the more workers get bought. So if it's expensive in one place, you want to go to the other. But you need your influence marker as high as the shield to be able to do that, right? There is a bidding phase at the start of the game where you bid for how high you are up this influence track, okay? So, okay, well... Uh, you know, is it good to be high or low? I mean, wh why should I do it? So I asked the question. I kid you not, my friend told me this. You must bid at minimum high enough to get to the second shield or you're going to have a bad day, right? And it's like, well, why is that? I mean, the rules don't stipulate I should do that. And why have the bidding phase in the first place if it's telling you to do a mere minimum of this? And it's like, because trust me, you will go, if you go lower, people will buy the workers, make the first one expensive. You won't be able to buy from the second one and then you'll be screwed. And I'm like, so hang on, the game is that linear and that close-minded that it has to go that way? No, come on, there's got to be some way to do this. It can't be that restrictive. <laughs> yes, it can. People decided to bid pretty much within 10 bucks of each other. And bear in mind, it goes in increments of 10. So no difference, basically 10 bucks of each other. But they all went to the second shield. I thought, you know what? I get to go first, and I'm going to go 10 bucks lower than that shield. You know, why not? Let's see if there's an incentive to do it. No, there isn't. Really, there is not. Because if you do, that exact thing happens and you are screwed. That basically started the whole downward spiral for me just doing very badly at the game, no matter what else I did. I had some factories, I did some sales, I got halfway across the map. But, yeah, wow. The game literally kicks you out of the game if you don't bid at least that high at the start. Because what does everybody do at the start? They grab workers. They do the worker action because workers are paramount to doing anything in this game. If you don't have workers, you literally can't do jack. It's... I can't believe something like that is in the game because it's arbitrary. If you have to be at that minimum level and everyone just bids about the same, what's the point of the bidding phase? It's an extra bit of rules it's extra time wasted and then it kills anybody who doesn't adhere to this 
tip that isn't like part of the main rulebook, I believe, or is it in there? And if so, just why is it in the game? It's so stupid. The action and iconography is not too bad. There's a fair few rules to learn, and it's very difficult to remember whether the price on the tile is like, is that how much it is to build a station or to build into it or to build a factory? I don't know. It's it's not particularly intuitive. But, oh my god, I'm going mad with this. But, you know, component quality is shocking. I mean, you've got cubes for all these resources. All the player boards and stuff warp. Yeah, I'm not kidding. They, they are warped. I had to bend most of the tiles in the box just to get them to stay flat on the table. This is... What is it with capstone games and being unable to make any decent boards? Stop cheaping out on component quality, mate. You need to be better than this. You've got these curvy tracks and your track is literally just a tiny twig wooden piece like this. Uh, it's, it's just... <clears throat> so many things I don't like about this. I'm struggling to think of anything good. I mean, it's it's heavy, it's thinky. I can get that there's an audience for this game, okay? I'm not saying that nobody should like this game. But I bounced off hard. And I admit, I requested this game. But as I said, I want to go out of my comfort zone every now and again. But don't be surprised if this game rubs me the wrong way. I kind of thought I was just going to play it and be like, eh, it's not particularly great. Or, you know, I've, I've seen better, whatever. But this game just insulted me in every way possible it tugged at everything that was designed to wind me up about games similar reasons to why i hate lorenzo and stuff like that just it's so punishing everything you do is designed to hinder you in points or hinder you in what you can do or just say you know what you can't have any fun turns you got four actions this round what are three of them two of them i get 10 bucks and one of them is passed because i literally can't afford to do jack how fun is that is that supposed to be fun that's a fun game for you to sit there and just pass and get 10 bucks every now and again? Yeah, okay, I play badly at the start. But if the game is literally going to kill you at that point, then don't have the bidding phase. Have you start at that level by default if it's so bad? Because then what is everyone going to bid? No one's going to bid high enough to go to the third or fourth shield. It costs tons, and you don't have that kind of money. So everybody just hangs around at that bit, so it's an arbitrary... Oh, I hate this game. I never want to play it. I never want to see it again. I honestly, I don't even want to hear people say it's great. I despise this. This is one of my worst train games I've ever played. This is up there with things like 18xx and Age of Steam. Uh, I'm just going to just accept it. If the game has got Steam in the title, I'm just going to assume it's bad. Okay. Uh, I've not played Steam Park. Maybe that's good. I don't know, but that's not even a train game. But honestly, if I see the word Steam in the title, I'm going to instantly be a little bit hesitant about playing this game now because it just seems to be a keyword for disappointment. Well, not even disappointment. It's a keyword for hatred. I argh. hate this game. Don't want to see it again. Bye bye. Go rant over. <laughs> so, yeah. One good game, one bad game. That was Imperial Esteem. If you love it, good on you. But just understand, this is not a game for me by any stretch of the human imagination. Right, bit more tea. Let's get on to some positive stuff. This is going to be a long episode, by the way. We're already half an hour in. And I've still got news and Dice Tower nominations to do, so um, bear with me on that. Right, news. Let's talk about some news. Uh, let's talk very quickly. I've got a lot of small ones. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But uh, basically, what have we got here? We've got the Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy. So Awakened Realms have announced that they are going to bring back this massive special edition of a classic Euro. And it's going to be, you know, tied up with metal coins and miniature buildings. 
and stuff like that. Now, granted, Castles of Burgundy, I'll admit, is not a game I'm a particular fan of. I find it average at best. I don't get the love for it, but whatever. It's a Stefan Feld game. I'm just not a Feld fan. And it looks like well, it looks horrible, basically. It's, it looks it looks bad. Its component quality is bad. It's, yeah, it could do with a bit of a pretty up. But there is such a thing as overkill, guys, okay? <laughs> Seriously. Was anybody cried out for an addition from Awakened Realms, of all people, to make a Castles of Burgundy reprint? I get it if you want to make it, say, Days of Wonder and make it a nice, colourful game. Or maybe take it to, who else would be good? I mean, who, who could do a game like this? Uh... I suppose Capstone Games, yeah, why not? We've just talked, well, actually, I know, production quality issues, uh, maybe not them. Who else would do this? Fantasy Flight, nah. Alderac? AG? AG could probably give it a go. Maybe Eagle Griffin could do it as a small game. But like I say, there are people I would think of first before Awaken Realms. I mean, what's next? Cool Mini or Not's doing, uh, yeah, well, Cool Mini or Not's doing Kalos? Uh, <laughs> something just, two things just don't go together. But they've got a preview page, and they are really going at this i mean we had the first edition of it which again looks horrible then they brought out this deluxe version which i swear looks worse but they are really going with it i mean new art style which granted it looks gorgeous refined ux for easier gameplay more readability uh you know metal coins that's about 3d concepts here campaign oh campaign oh, for christ oh that's the game found campaign i was gonna say don't put campaign modes in this but yeah the castle miniature stretch goals I mean, how much is this going to cost? This is going to be ridiculously expensive. And was anybody really asking for this kind of thing for Castles of Burgundy? I mean, who's... I can imagine the fans are probably going to go mad for this and buy it because it's going to look gorgeous. And if they love the game, then they've got the perfect edition. But yeah, this just... This feels weird. And I've got no interest in Castles of Burgundy. So honestly, I'm not going to go with this campaign. This is not something I'm going to bid on. I don't care how good it looks. But a jumbo-sized box with miniatures for something like Castles of Burgundy, a dice-throwing luck Eurofest with bland theme and bland mechanics. I don't know. I'm, I'm not interested in this game. I know a lot of people are going to go mad for this, but it's just weird. <laughs> it's just weird. Okay, fine. Uh, something I'm a bit more interested in, though. Viticulture. Yes. Everybody knows Viticulture is one of my favorite games, and Stonemaier have recently announced that they're doing a cooperative expansion. Viticulture World. So, same sort of player count. Uh, slightly different artist, it seems. I'm a little bit concerned. I don't know. Is it the same artist? Uh, might I hope it's the same artist. Otherwise, it's going to look weird. But it's got some different designers. And, yeah, we have a co-op expansion. Interesting. It's all. It's kind of crossed my mind every now and again about you know, a, could Viticulture be co-op and could it work? And, well, well, somebody's proved me here. But yeah, we're going to have, you know, was it? You have to play, was it? Here we go. Cooperate with members of your extended winemaking family or play solo, great, in seven asymmetric continents as you try to achieve global recognition. Balance the growth of your individual vineyard with the combined effort of your fellow players to gain influence within the region. Hmm, okay, sounds good. New game board, tiles, tokens, and event cards. Combined with the original vineyard mats and game cards, you've got six years to achieve two conditions necessary for victory. So, which is usually 25 victory points, and the shared influence token has to reach a bit, whatever. But it says here, and this is the weird thing, if you enjoy the style of cooperation and the scenario asymmetry in Spirit Island and Orleans Invasion, we think you'll enjoy Viticulture World. Okay, I get it slightly with Orleans Invasion, but Spirit Island? Spirit Island's not the first game I would compare to Viticulture. I love Spirit Island, favourite game, but 
okay, that's a bold claim. <laughs> I'll be interested to see how the comparison to that works, but granted, I'm not exactly going to complain if it is. Uh, but yeah, innovation tiles, continent decks, so a ton of, uh, you know, well, a ton of cards, 110, that's not a lot. Uh, two rulebooks, multiplayer and solo, double-sided game board, which can include the structure cards and the Tuscany expansion, great, so it's backwards compatible. Automna components, 20 card reprints, okay, so that's interesting, so they're going to replace a few cards, uh, some new uh, red and blue cards, I'm not sure what the red and blue is supposedly for, but... Uh, maybe they're talking about the... No, that's yellow. Yeah, that's interesting. What are they on about with red and blue? But I don't know. But yeah, you need the original core game. Other expansions are compatible. And they are basically selling this uh, wine crate. Um, I don't know if I can see uh, what they've got. Yeah, so a massive wine crate to store everything, which to be fair, I could probably do with. So yeah, I'm I'm cool with this. Uh, we've, uh, contents and reviews will be available from the following creators, insert the same 10 people that they go to every single time, yep, yep, same people, same people, same people, yep, whatever, you know, I mean, you know, for, for a publisher that's all about, like, diversifying, uh, like, between a lot of things and supporting small creators and stuff like that, you don't half seem to repeat the same ones all the time, but, ah, well, like I say, <laughs> it's, Stone Mario games have yet to put out a decent new game for a while, you know, since Wingspan, in my opinion. I mean, Pendulum, Tapestry, Red Rising, all of them, not particularly great. So, yeah, this is kind of the thing. You talk badly about a few games, you're not going to get picked for pretty much anything. But, you know, I hope that I can sing the praises of this because I love Viticulture and I'm interested to see what this does. So, uh, you know, early June, ships in mid-June, but... Anyway, uh, moving on, Detective Club Noir. Now, I'm only going to talk very briefly about this. Basically, UK release, UK retail release has now got the expansion to Detective Club. It is basically just a Dixit card expansion. You get 84 new cards. Great, because I was starting to get a bit of repetition in the previous set. Yes, you can mix and match, but, you know, I just wanted more cards, so I figured why not? That's pretty good. I just wanted to mention this one brief, though, because... One thing that people may not be aware of is that this doesn't just give you the cards. It gives you a tin box, which it really didn't need to be a tin box. Talk about too much packaging here. But it gives you seven more notepads in the box. So if you think that your notepads are getting a little bit scruffy or it's difficult to tell them, you know, to make them similar to each other and you'll use them all up, this now comes with seven more pads, brand new. So that could be very useful to people, and that elevates this expansion above just being a bunch of cards. You know, those pads will come in very handy for my copy, for particularly, because it's been played quite a bit. So just to bear that in mind, I just wanted to mention that briefly, because I don't think it was made very clear on their advertising. But yeah, if you're in the UK, check out some stores like uh, Zatu or Kiender, and you'll be able to get a copy of this now. So by all means, play more Detective Club. It's amazing. Um, okay, what next? Uh, very briefly, Septima from Mind Clash Games. They have just announced that they're already going hot with Perseverance, of which I don't know for certain if I'm going to do a review of Perseverance. It's two big Euro games. It's a lot of time investment to get two of those out. And I certainly won't do one video for each, the whole box. It would need to be one per episode, because it's two games in the box, remember. It's a lot of effort on top of everything else. I don't know if I can, but... So far, first impressions of Perseverance are episode 1 is fine, 6, 7 out of 10. Uh, the second episode is much better, 8, possibly 9 out of 10. 
but there's a lot of rules overhead, and then add on the solo mode, which is even more rules overhead, and placement priorities, which always do my head in, and then the Chronicles mode, which is even more rules overhead on top, which I have no interest in playing, seriously, if I do a review for this game, I'm not touching Chronicles mode, I didn't ask for a campaign game with two big Euros, and, well, we'll get onto that in a minute with uh, campaigns, but, yeah, that's just first impressions, I want to play it some more, though, because so far I do like it, but... I think it doesn't quite measure up to the other ones that they've done in the past. But they have announced Septima. Build your witch coven and fraud the townsfolk and rise to power as the new Septima. I don't know what Septima means, but uh, base, uh, what is a Septima? Prove to the Septima, leader of their people, the Septima, uh, leader of a witch cult. I don't know. I don't know the definition of that, but it's a competitive interactive strategy game of witchcraft. You must prove your worth in the town of Walpurgis, whatever, to become the successor of Septima, the High Witch. Okay, so the High Witch, basically. Uh, practice your craft and gain wisdom by collecting herbs, brewing potions, healing the townsfolk, mastering charms, and rescuing your fellow brothers and sisters from the trials. But beware, magic, even if used for good, invokes suspicion in the townsfolk. This sounds like a fantastic theme. Wow, a kind of Salem Witch Trial-style theme where, you know, you've got to maintain some kind of, like, uh, you know, in a sense, a... Uh, well, you've got to maintain like this almost like, a bit like a corruption mechanic in a sense. Like if you do too much of this good stuff, you could risk screwing yourself over in other means. Simultaneous action selection with positive player interaction. Cool. Nine action cards. Collect, brew, heal, recruit. Yes, I like action cards. That's cool. Um, heal in for all or convince the townsfolk and amass enough support. Uh, if the hostile witnesses are outvoted, the convicted witch is absolved and joins the coven. Uh, but you start small and grow. You can have more witches, each with their own personality and special ability. This sounds fantastic as a theme and mechanically. So I am definitely keen on this. But that's not the main reason I wanted to mention this. Notice this number in the middle of the screen here. 50 to 100 minutes playing time. If you know anything about Minecraft games, they don't do small games. They do giant boxes full of stuff and minis that take three hours to play. And they're great games. This is very different. This is their most accessible title to date, as they stated here. Wooden components, hand-drawn art by Vilo Farkas. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but interested to see what the art will look like with this. Theme and style mechanics, quick to teach and set up and takes less than two hours to play even with four players. I will be the judge of that because a lot of people like to lie about the time lengths of their game, but if you can give me something with the quality of mechanics that Mind Clash Games does with the strong theme that this one seems to be doing and you can give it to me in two hours or less, you know, not have to take a three hour mammoth time with tons of teaching and have to play it with the same group and rules overhead that blows your brain out like Perseverance, then seriously, you could have one of my favorite games of next year. Because this is a 2023 release. It's going to take a while. I suspect there'll be a Game Found thing for it. I don't know if they're going to do it on Game Found or Kickstarter. I haven't seen. But uh, yeah, all the stuff about this sounds amazing. So fingers crossed. Don't mess it up. Okay. I'm giving you, I'm giving you credit for this one. I don't normally get hyped for stuff. But this sounds pretty good. A different theme. I mean, yes, we have seen some social deduction games with things like Witch Groven and Salem Witch Trials. I mean, the game Salem, for example. But a Euro game based on this? I don't think we've had that before. So, unique theme, innovation. I like to see this. Come on, do me proud, Mind Clash. Do me proud. All right, finally on news, before we get to the Dice Tower nominations. Oh, my word. 
Cosmic Odyssey. This is an expansion for Cosmic Encounter. And, um, yeah. Fantasy Flight, go home, you're drunk. Is basically what I would sum this up as. Firstly, there is enough content in my Cosmic Encounter box, which, to be fair, I haven't played that game in ages. It's a difficult one to get to the table, but... There's enough content for this game. It does not need more expansions. So here we go. More aliens. Okay, great. More aliens, fine. And it's going to be epic. And you've got some some aliens that are re redone versions of older ones. So they're slightly less powerful, slightly more powerful. Which I think is just another way of saying these aliens were broken. We're trying to fix them. Uh, but okay, so more aliens. Hopefully not too many more uh, mechanics in a sense. But okay, cool. But here's why I'm saying go home, you're drunk. Did anybody notice these two words on the bottom of the box? Campaign expansion. What? Seriously? Campaign expansion? Who was playing Cosmic Encounter and thought, you know what, we've just had this fun game, we negotiated, oh, that was fun, yeah. Uh, see you next week so we can play the second in this campaign? What? Who asked for this? Seriously, did anybody ask Fantasy Flight, could you make a campaign expansion for Cosmic Encounter? You've got a campaign log here, you you go through a series of games, gathering prizes along the way, regardless of your win-loss record, every player that's declared a winner in a final age is crowned a campaign winner. Oh, great. So, all these different tokens, all these different mechanics for a campaign mode... Seriously, publishers, do we need campaigns in every single game? Ever. Pre time is precious, okay? Time is precious. We don't all have, you know, all the time in the world to play games multiple times in a row, okay? Story-driven campaign games, like Sleeping Gods here, okay, fine. I think it could be a bit shorter, but still, that's okay if you want to make a story-driven campaign game. But can we stop taking these tiny little filler card games, or these, like, massive Euro games, and... Given campaigns just for the sake of a campaign. I mean, Chronicles voted Perseverance, to, you know, as another example. But a negotiation chaotic game where you're aliens laughing your head off and just making stupid banter across the place and having a good time. Does this warrant campaign? No, it doesn't. This is pointless. Absolutely pointless. So I have no interest in the campaign mode. I'm never going to play it. But now, if I wanted these aliens, and I don't, because frankly, there's enough content in the game as it is, I can't get these separate. I have to buy this expansion and get all this campaign stuff I have no interest in just to get a bunch of aliens. And I don't know how much this is costing. I think on the Dice Tower News, though, they mentioned that this was a $40... Like This was a very expensive expansion, like the price of a full game to get this. So, you are not going to pay that kind of money for this game if you're not interested in the campaign. But honestly, who is? There's going to be a very niche group who want this expansion. Let's just Seriously, this is where your development time went into lately. You know, no more stuff for Civil New Dawn, no more, you know, well, I mean, you, I don't know. Seriously, was there nothing else you could have done? A reprint of the Civilization Sid Meier's game with streamlined rules, that would have been really good. So why? Why was this a thing? I don't know. I'm not talking about it anymore. I have no interest in this expansion for this reason, but I just thought, can we just stop it with the campaign modes, okay? 
What is so wrong about just playing a game and having it wrap up, done and dusted there and then? Story-driven narrative stuff like This War of Mine, Days of the Siege, and Sleeping Gods, okay, fine, Lord of the Rings, Mansion of the Madness... Well, Mansion of the Madness is at least a scenario, and it's done. Lord of the Rings is a campaign, fine. It's a story-driven campaign, but again, I wish it was shorter. Just stop turning everything into campaign modes, please. It's really starting to become a bit of a meme at this point. Right, me. where are we at here? Uh, we've been doing this for 47 minutes, and I've still got to do the Dice Tower nomination. So yeah, long episode, guys. I hope you um, <laughs> got your popcorn. There's the last of my lemon and honey tea. So, uh, oh, blimey, and I feel exhausted. I think that... <laughs> well, if you like to hear me go off on rants, people, you got your buddy's word on this episode. I can tell you that from... Righty, so the Dice Tower nominations, okay, let's go. So, I vote on these nominations, and I vote on the awards. Dice Tower nominations happen each year, and, you know, they're a bunch of games. We get together on Facebook, and we suggest some nominations. They get announced, and then we get to vote on our favorites for each category. Ones that I nominate don't necessarily get put forward, and ones that obviously I vote for on awards don't necessarily win, because there's a bunch of us who do it, but I like to chime in on these. Now, I don't necessarily always agree with a bunch of these, and I hope my Slack is not getting in the way here with these, like, tick -tick noises that's coming out. Let's quit out of Slack for a minute. Um, sorry, gaming rules, but uh, I'm recording here. So, yeah, I... I, for the most part, the Dice Tower nominations and awards uh, get the right answer, from, um, from my opinion. I'm not saying they're categorically wrong or right. This is just what I would like to win. You know, personal opinion only. But, yeah, they do a reasonable job. So, we've got the nominations in. They've just announced them on their Spring Spectacular, and I purposely did not watch it. Because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. But I didn't want to know ahead of time what they were. So I figured, you know what? Why don't I just simply you know, do it live, effectively. You know, this isn't a live show, fine, but I just thought, yeah, why don't I just simply watch it, like, you know, on this point, you know, first time I see the nominations. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Now, there's a lot of categories, and I realize that this episode is already quite long. So I'm going to be very, very brief on some of these categories that I don't know much about, but I will certainly give my initial thoughts. So this is not a massive detailed list. This is going to be more of a you know, more of a, a a quick skim, shall we say, you know, but, you know, hopefully you'll get some answers. So these are all in categories here. I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up, and I will be certain to talk about the titles that are there for those of you that are listening in podcast form. So most innovative nominees are Merchant's Cove, Mind Management, Picture Perfect, and Sleeping Gods, and So Clover. That's interesting. <clears> hmm. <throat> Mind management doesn't strike me as anything particularly new. It's just basically a hidden movement game that's shorter. Merchant's Cove basically is doing what Root does, except it makes it impossible to teach the new players, it makes it hard to play with anybody but the same group, and at the end of the day, it's a Euro game about being economy. Whatever, I've got no interest in that. Sleeping Gods is a cool campaign game, but is it that innovative? I mean, it's been done before, it's just been done very well here. So Clover is not innovative. I'd give this one the picture perfect. Picture Perfect is a uh, cool little game where you're trying to set up a photo setup with all these different standees and that. And you these cards come up and you've got these envelopes with the people's requests. Like, I don't want to stand next to this person. I want to be as close to the table as possible, that kind of thing. And through various rounds and auctions, you get these envelopes, find out the information and try to set up the perfect 
you know, they call it perfect, the perfect moment. It's called Picture Perfect, but yeah, this is a cool game from uh, Arcane Wonders, and it's not one that I want to play all the time, but it's a very interesting idea and very unique. So if I'm giving the innovative game to anything here, it's Picture Perfect. Now, bearing in mind, I can't actually remember what I nominated, so I, I won't be able to tell you whether my nomination is on here or not because it was done so long ago and my memory sucks, but I'm just going to give you my reactions as I see them here. So, yeah, that's most innovative. Best Welcoming Game, Seven Wonders Architects, Canvas, Castadia, Picture Perfect, and Super Mega Lucky Box. I have no idea what the Super Mega Lucky Box is. That looks like it's for kids. Looks like it's a... Whatever, that looks like a mass market game. Something like Big Potato would do. But Seven Wonders Architects, I mean, it's a great gateway game. But Welcoming? I don't know. People might look at that and be slightly put off. Canvas I've still not played. I'd like to play Canvas. Could someone please show me Canvas? I didn't get in on the Kickstarter. It didn't wow me enough from that. It looks gorgeous. I would like to play it. Picture Perfect? Mm, no, I wouldn't call that welcoming, especially with the way it is. Cascadia? Yeah, hands down. Cascadia goes down so well with people I show it to. It's so nice, so zen, so colourful, blissful. It's just one of the perfect gateway games of the modern years now it, it is up there in like top 10 gateway games it has to be kicks calico to the curb this is the one you want and it looks beautiful best sobel's artwork tiles making the animal putting the animal tiles on oh, i taught it to three heavy gamers right on friday and they all liked it as well so it's it's a game for everybody cascader is just I'm not saying it's like a 10 out of 10 game, like in terms of like full enjoyment and that, but for what it is, it's such a good design. Uh, that's definitely my choice. In fact, if that doesn't win it, I'm going to be surprised. Best two-player games, Ank, Gods of Egypt, Caper Europe, Land vs. Sea, Radlands, and That Time You Killed Me. I don't even know uh, That Time You Killed Me. I've still yet to play my original copy of Caper downstairs, so I don't even know if that's any good or not. I'd like to play it, I just haven't had a chance to. Land vs. Sea, I barely know anything about. Same with Radlands. Ankh, Gods of Egypt. I had no interest in Ankh. Alright, I just thought, oh great, another Eric Lang dudes on the map game. And all I heard about was how this merge rule was stupid. I looked it up, I did my research, and yes, I agree, the merge rule is dumb. So, but Z Garcia talks about Ankh being a really good two-player game. Maybe it is. I have no idea. Not played the game. No interest in it. Uh, I don't really know what I would give this to. Caper, maybe, because I hear good things, but I don't know. I don't know enough about this category, so whatever. I'm not that fussed. I don't even know which one I would vote on, frankly. Although, to be honest, we are told that we cannot vote on categories if we've not played the games. So this category, I just simply probably wouldn't vote on. Although maybe I would try and get... Maybe somebody could teach me a game of Caper Europe by then. But then again, I haven't played the other games. So I might just um, abstain from this category for fairness. Best theming nominees, Ark Nova, Final Girl, Horrified American Monsters, I didn't realise that was even a thing, uh, Roll Camera, the Filmmaking Board Game, never heard of that, and Sleeping Gods. Who now, I've not played Final Girl. Final Girl is the pseudo-sequel to Hostage Negotiator, and, I mean, it could be cool, but then, honestly, if it's just basically Hostage Negotiator with extra bits, I don't really feel the need to spend the stupid amounts of money the campaign was worth getting it, but... Could be good. I mean, it certainly does represent the theme, I guess, but it is a dice game at the end of the day, so I wonder how far it goes. Horrified, I'm not seeing it. I know nothing about Roll Camera. Sleeping Gods does have a great story-driven name, but then that's kind of inbuilt to a story-driven game. Ark Nova does 
make me feel like I'm building a zoo though with all those cards. But it is sort of abstracted to a degree. But it's a theme that we haven't had for ages and I love it to bits. So I don't know which one I'd vote for. Art Nova or Sleeping Gods, I think. It'd be one of those two. But hmm, let me just see which how this turns out. Alright, best strategy game nominees. We have Anno 1800, Furnace, Maglev Metro, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, and Ark Nova. If Ark Nova does not win this, I am going to flip my lid. Especially with these contenders. Maglev Metro is average. I don't think that much of it. It's a train game. Okay, whatever. Furnace is a relatively boring auction game where you basically just auction for cards that turn X into Y and you put coal and iron like the most boring setup. It's it's the industrial age, you know, all that time. It's like, who cares? And you're basically just making an engine out of cards, turning X into Y for VP. Whatever. It's just the fact that it takes about an hour to play. I mean, people, I mean, at least an hour to play. Uh, but if you're left at the back or if you don't have that many cards in your engine, you're not really doing a lot each turn when people are taking forever to do their engines. And it's, I just found it a bit boring, really. It's got a unique twist to the auction mechanic, but then auction mechanics aren't my favorite thing anyway, so I just didn't really care too much. I don't dislike it. I just thought it was meh. It exists, whatever. I think, you know, I was expecting this to be a flash in a pan and people would forget about it, but some people really like it. Anno's okay. I've played it. Again, I've, I find it okay. I find it above average. It's fine. It's probably a, one of the better Martin Wallace games. And to be honest, as much as he's a lovely guy, I don't tend to like his games. But again, boring thing. Seriously, can we just stop it with industrial age, like, you know, Victorian England style industry? Can we just move on from this tired theme? It's getting like trading in the Mediterranean levels of ridiculousness now. Can we move on to something like Ark Nova? Building a zoo. Isn't that so much better than trading iron and coal for victory points? Come on. But yeah, I would have flipped my... Li also, strategy game, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition... I'm not sure, well, I suppose it is a strategy game, but honestly, this is Art Nova, hands down. I'm voting on Art Nova full stop, and if it doesn't win this category, I'm going to call Hacks. Right, solo game, Art Nova, Cascadia, Final Girl, Hadrian's Wall, and Sleeping Guts. Whew, um, hmm, <laughs> interesting. I don't know enough about Final Girl. Uh, Sleeping Gods was fun solo, I enjoyed it, it was a really good solo game, but long lots of setup and the save function sucks i've played hadrian's wall i did a first impression as i know i did a review of it uh the other the other week uh, a few weeks ago i did a review it's fine it's one of the better role like flipping rights out there but it's still at the end of the day a flipping right where you just cross things off a board it's just ganshlon clever the advanced version you know more advanced than doppel slow clever or whatever it was called it's meh I don't think that much of it, but I understand why people, fans of the genre, like it. And it is effectively a solo game because there is no reason whatsoever to play it multiplayer. So it fits the category. But Cascadia's got a really nice solo mode. It's very simple. 30 minutes, you are done and dusted with these little solo challenges that change up what you're scoring and what restrictions you have. It's a very good solo mode. But then so is Art Nova. Art Nova is such a simple rule set. And again, I made, I talked about Perseverance having too many rules on top of rules on top of rules. Art Nova literally just gives you a small, but like half a page worth of rules for the solo mode, right? It's basically a reach a target goal, but you have limited turns and you know you can plan for when the coffee breaks are happening and stuff. It's just such an easy solo mode. And I've played this game a lot in solo mode. So, whoo, this is a tough one. 
Really tough. I'll be a bit disappointed if Hadrian's Wall takes this, and I'm not expecting Final Girl to take it, although Final Girl is pretty much a solo game, so it does fit solo game a bit more, but please give me Ark Nova or Cascadia. I'd be happy with one of those two to win it, but yeah, that's a good selection of games, though. Alright, uh, best reprint nominees. Galaxy Trucker, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, Kemet Blood and Sand, Summoner Wars 2nd Edition, and Ticket to Ride 15th Anniversary Europe. Well, the Ticket to Ride Europe is just basically a blinged out version of Europe, and it's gorgeous as anything, but, you know, top reprint. I don't like Galaxy Trucker, so I don't really care about that one. I've got the Kemet reprint downstairs, I've just had no chance to play it. It's actually a Kickstarter back I'm regretting, because I just don't think I'm ever going to get it to the table, so why did I back it in the first place? I really need to be more picky with my Kickstarters. Some of the wars... I like it fine. I wasn't a massive fan of it. I thought it was fine. It's a two-player game, so I don't play those as much. But second edition can be good. And I despise Great Western Trail. And frankly, as much as the second edition looks a bit nicer aesthetically, I hear people say that the graphic design is a problem in certain areas and some of the components are a bit weird. So, uh, yeah, I feel like they've uh, missed the point on those. But, God, yeah, I'm not a particular fan of this category at all. I don't even know who would win it. I, I fear that Great Western Trail is going to win it just because there's so many Great Western Trail fans. But frankly, I don't think... From what it is, it's basically just a straight-up reprint with very few changes. I don't know. it. I don't want that to win. I don't know what would win here. Uh, I mean, my vote would probably go for... I mean, the Kemet reprint is pretty cool. It is from, you know, it from looks, but then I haven't played it. I might have to abstain from this category as well. Or vote for Ticket to Ride. At least I played that one. Alright, best production values. Seven Wonders Architects, Aren't Gods of Egypt, Canvas, Maglev Metro, and Sleeping Gods. I'm sorry, Maglev Metro? Yes, okay, you've got some little Perspect tiles and you've got some like tiny little robot meeples, but no, I'm not going to put that in best production values category. That's stretching it a bit. Canvas is good production values, but then isn't it mainly just the artwork? I don't know what the rest of the component quality is like in this, but yeah, that just seems a little bit weird. Aren't Gods of Egypt, dudes on the map, it's cool mini or not, it's uh, Eric Lane, it's going to have miniatures, I suppose it's a contender, but honestly, I've seen it on the table, and I don't think it looks that great. Sleeping Gods, though, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that box, you've got the t you've got the cards, you've got that book, all the artwork on top, all the stuff, I mean, that is a good contender. But then says Seven Wonders Architects, you get these cool little trays with all your stuff in it, and the setup is super quick, very nice looking cards. It, that's a good contender as well, but I don't know if I would call it best of the year. I think my vote would probably go to Sleeping Gods on this front, and maybe Seven Wonders Architects the second place. Yeah, I'd give it the Sleeping Gods here. Okay, let's take a drink for a second. Ah, there we go. All right, we're, uh, we're, I think we're halfway, more than halfway, so best party game. Doodle Dash, Mystic Paths, Slow Clover, Snakes. And Super Mega Lucky Box. What the hell is this Super Mega Lucky Box? I need to have a look at this. Super Mega Lucky Box. This is going to be for kids, isn't it? Okay. Fill the grids on your cards to receive bonuses and points. Okay, that sounds exactly like uh, Silver and Gold, the flipping right game. Exactly like that. Uh, what have we got? Do that by mostly crossing off the nine numbers and printing in a 3 by 3 grid on the cards in front of you. You shuffle a bunch of cards, you ma what is this? Okay, uh, you, 
You shuffle 18 cards numbered 1 to 9 twice, then reveal 9 of those cards one by one. For each number revealed, you cross off a matching number on one of your cards when you start with you starting the game by choosing 3 out of 5 cards. Each time you complete a row or column, you receive the printed bonus next to it. And they do various things. This sounds like bingo. What is this supposed to be? Looks very basic. I mean, this does look like something Big Potato would put out. This is a party game? I mean, a party game for kids, maybe? I'm not seeing this at all. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I'm really not seeing this. Best party game of the year? I mean, to be fair, 2021 did suck for party games. <laughs> it was very bad on the party game front, but... I don't know Mystic Paths. I don't know Snakes. It looks like Comedian all over again. Um, Phil, Walter, Phil Walker Harding did that and Super Mega Luggy Box. Maybe he's slumming it a bit. I don't know, Doodle, Doodle Dash, again, that just looks like a weird drawing game. I'd probably give the vote to So Clover, because as much as it's not innovative, it's still a fun game. But, yeah, if that's the best we got, frankly, I think this game, sorry, this year kind of sucked for party games. It was a bit of a shame, really. Oh, well, it's always Detective Club. Right, best game from a small publisher, Canvas, The Initiative, Oath Chronicles of Empire, whatever, you know, Oath, basically, from Leader Games, Mind Management, which I've not played, and Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley, I don't hear much buzz about. I hear it's too complicated for what it looks like it's going to be, and it's pretty much just for Stardew fans, so I'm not really that keen on that. I've seen very mixed mare reveals for the initiative. I don't think that's getting a lot of buzz, so I'm concerned how that got into the nominations, frankly. Oath, are we really going to call Leader Games a small publisher now with things like Root and that? I don't know. They've done other stuff, haven't they? Uh, maybe they are still small, though, but Oath, nah, I'm not giving it to that. I mean, I've, I've not played it, honestly, but a game which is very heavy, very rules-intensive, and requires you, by default, to have the same group of people committed to this game on a regular basis to get the full enjoyment out of it, I'm sorry, that's a game that's just far too niche to deserve awards, in my opinion. And, um, you know, there are games I love that I would admit are too niche. This is too niche. Uh, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I... Mind Management, I've still not played that game, but I, the art, I don't like the artwork on Mind Management. That board in Mind Management looks so bad. It looks so bleh. Somebody teach me Canvas. I'd like to see if Canvas is any good, and then I could give some props to that. But, yeah, might have to abstain from this one. What did I vote for, then? I'm, I'm curious what I must have voted for in that one. None of those ones, I can tell you that. All right, Best New Designer nominee. Yes, uh, I must have voted for Art Nova on that one. Yeah, Art Nova, Meadow, Padio, So Clover, and Unsettled. So Clover is not that amazing, guys. I mean, it's basically just, just one with some tweaks. Whatever. Uh, Padio I have played, and I have done some first impressions of it. I like it, but I don't know. I feel like it could get repetitive. I don't really see the need to play it multiplayer, because frankly, you're only just flipping cards and doing a little bit of discussion. I think it's more of a solo game, really, but I need to play it solo and find out. Meadow's decent. Not amazing, but decent. Um, I may regret this, but I, at the very last minute, went in for a group pledge of Unsettled. So I'm getting all the content. Uh, it was a group pledge. It was slightly cheaper. I like Vindication, so I've got faith in this publisher, but this could be a mistake. This could be a Kickstarter regret, but... I'm in it now, so uh, we'll find out on that front, but yeah, I've not played it. I mean, the thing is, this is a game that only so many people have played, so I don't know if I want to give an award to a game that nobody's played, but as I say, I've not played it. But Art Nova, yeah, 
I mean, this guy has not done many other designs. In fact, this might even be his first design. I'm not sure. I can't remember what else he's done. But yeah, this is a new designer. And you came out with Art Nova. I'm sorry. This is going to Art Nova. Hands down. Best game expansion. Endangered new species. Not played that game. Lost Ruins of Arnak expedition leaders. Have played it. Great expansion. Parks Nightfall expansion. Parks is meh for me. I don't really care about Nightfall. I've not tried it. Sleeping Gods Tides of Ruins a bit weird. I mean, it adds some dungeons and stuff. It's a pretty weird expansion to be putting on best expansion. I mean, did we have a bad year for expansions as well? Hang on, i got to look this up. I'm sorry. Advanced search. We're going on to Board Game Geek for this. Right, so year released. 2021. 2021. And we're going to not look at ones I've rated specifically. Sorry, I need to look up expansions. Uh, fan ex expansion for base game. Tick the box. Okay, let's have a look. 2021, what expansions came out? Uh, Terraforming Mars, Big Box, meh. Undaunted, Reinforcements, uh, Parks, Nightfall, Concordia, don't care, Grand Austria Hotel, uh, Tale to Huicon expansion, period, Maracaibo Uprising. I'm surprised that didn't get put in the mix. Uh, Reza Kano, Western Legends, Blood Money, uh, some Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, Wildlands, Fantasy Realms, some Marvel Champion stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, 2021 sucked for expansions. Most expansions I went for that I could give props to are the ones that are LCG stuff. Te Tekenu, Time of Seth, nothing particularly notable about that. Uh, Bonfire, don't care. Paleo, A New Beginning, I don't think anyone's even played it. <laughs> it's so hard to get. Pipeline, don't care. Destiny's not fast. Uh, Fantastic Factory's not played. Cats and Dogs expansion for Fort's pretty good. But it's probably a bit late to the party. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, 2021's... Uh, Onitama Light and Shadow. Yeah, I mean, that's a half-decent expansion. Nothing much, but okay, fair enough. Maybe I'm answering my own question there. Yeah. It, uh, Imperial Settlers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2021 sucked for expansions. So this is as good as we're getting, guys. Oh, well, that's an easy one. Lost Ruins of Arnak, Expedition Leaders. Winner. Right, moving on. Best cooperative game, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood and Paleo Sleeping Gods, So Clover and Unfathomable. Not played Unfathomable yet, but it's not a game I'm ever going to own, so I'm not that fussed. If I get to play it, I'll play it. Adventures of Robin Hood was kind of meh. Wasn't that fussed from the demos I'd played. Paleo could be a contender, but again, I'd rather just play it solo. So Clover could win this because it is technically a co-op, but... Did we not have? I'm not gonna do the. Li I'm not gonna search for it. But I could have sworn there was better co-ops this year. Well, maybe there wasn't. Maybe co-ops just weren't that popular in 2021. But Pedio, that could be a contender or Sleeping Gods. I mean, I would certainly put it the Sleeping Gods out of this slot. Sleeping Gods number one, Pedio two, and So Clover three. I would probably say on this slot. But yeah, we need more cooperative games, guys. We do. Ah, this should be interesting. Best artwork. Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Wrong? Seriously? I don't consider that to have very good artwork. But Toku, as much as the game has a lot, a lot, a lot of problems, and I'm repeating myself three times because it has a lot of problems. I gave it, what, a five, I think? Uh, possibly could even be, well, yeah, five's about reasonable. Canvas, Meadow, Sleeping Gods. But Toku does at least have fantastic artwork, though. Meadow's got fantastic artwork. Canvas has great artwork. So does Sleeping Gods. Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, Batoku could win this one because it really does have very pretty artwork. I just wish the rest of the game was as good as the rest of the artwork. 
Uh, canvas is nice though. Meadow, Meadow's nice. Would I give it the number one? I don't know. Sleeping Gods has got great artwork as well, although how much of the artwork do you see other than the maps and some cards? Oh, this is a really tough one. I don't know which one I would give it to. I mean, Batoko is really nice art, but I just, but it's all about artwork. Forget whether the game's any good. Is the artwork good? And for Batoku, it's a resounding yes. So, could be a winner on that one. And finally, Game of the Year nominees. Alright, let's have a look. Game of the Year. Go. Seven Wonders Architects. Art Nova. Cascadia. Hadrian's Wall. Maglev Metro. How is that getting into so many categories when barely anybody's talking about it? Meadow. Merchant's Cove. Again, same problem. Mine Management. Again, same problem. And Sleeping Gods. Whew, right. Um... If this is not won by Ark Nova, I'm going to be very surprised. The amount of buzz that has. Now, potentially Cascadia. Cascadia won the American Tabletop Award, and deservedly so. It's a very good, well-designed game. It could be a game of the year. But Ark Nova is just fantastic. I mean, Ark Nova is getting my vote. Cascadia would get my second vote. And probably Sleeping Gods my third vote that was seven wonders architects because seven wonders architects is a pretty solid game but i would never put that as i mean the thing is game of the year is a weird category because there are some of these games that are good but don't seem to have enough buzz for me to consider them as game of the year i mean who is talking about maglev metro merchants cove and mine management at the moment a lot of people talk about hadrian's wall so that could be up there but frankly for a flipping right genre that's pretty much only a solo game i don't know i wouldn't want to call something like that game of the year Sleeping Gods gets talked about a lot. You know, that could be a game of the year. Meadow, I don't think, is talked about enough to be game of the year. I think this is going to come down between Ark Nova and Cascadia. And if either of them win, I'm perfectly happy because they're both fantastic. But uh, I'm giving it to Ark Nova personally. So, yeah, that is definitely my game of the year by far. But you know, interesting thing here. When Gloomhaven came out, and that was ripping apart all the different categories, including categories where it didn't deserve to even be in the category... That was like in about seven or eight different categories, and it was just stupid. Like, it only deserved to be in three of them, and it was like shoehorned into a ton of others. So where does Ark Nova fit in? Game of the Year, fine. Um, game of the Year, new designer, fits in that, fine, fine, fine. Uh, it's not in production values. Uh, solo game, fine, yeah, it's definitely a solo game. Best theming, so it's in that one as well. Uh, it's in, uh, to be fair, Ark Nova is actually, yeah, probably eating my words here. Art Nova is in a lot of categories. I mean, was that one, two, three, four, five categories? So not quite to the sickening levels of Gloomhaven, but uh, still a lot of categories. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually happy with it. I mean, Art Nova fits in all these categories that it's in. It wouldn't be in any of the others. Two-player game, no, and reprint, no, and party, obviously not party game and stuff like that. Uh, it's not co-op, it certainly doesn't have the artwork, uh, all the production values, frankly, that is one of the weak weaknesses of Dark Nova, is that its production values are kind of whatever. Yeah, I think it's perfectly fine where it is, and like I say, I hope it wins a lot of awards. Whew, yeah, alright, there we go, that was the bumper episode, an hour and 15 minutes for this episode of the podcast, I better get on with a recording and uh, sorry editing and getting this online but uh yeah this there was a lot to talk about in this episode will the next one in two weeks be anywhere near as big i highly doubt it but hopefully i can give you some uh reports of games i played at bacon so maybe we'll make that one a bumper 
you know, what I played episode or something like that. Uh, or I'll actually I'll, I'll also start the segment where I said I was going to talk about games on my shelf that I never got a chance to review. So, you know, ones I never got a chance to review but want to talk about them. So I was going to do Fort, for example, because I don't think I ever did a formal review for Fort, but I talk about it a lot. So, well, we'll I didn't have time to fit it in this episode, but uh, we'll talk about it in the next one. Um, I'll, I'll try and remember to start that segment in the next episode, and we'll get that segment going going forward. Because there's a few games in my collection I think I could talk about where I never did a formal review, and I think it's about time I did. So, yeah, that should be pretty interesting. But... Well, that's it for me. Uh, by means, remember to thumb up the video. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, please do so. I appreciate it. You'll get notified about all the stuff I'm doing, including the live content. It's the best way to find out what I'm doing is to subscribe. But then also comment on the video. Let me know about the games. Let me know about these nominations. Do you agree with them? Is there a game that you think should be included? I think there's a lot of discussion power there. What are your thoughts on Pact Renaissance? Are you surprised that I'm, uh, you know, that I like the game? Are you surprised that I hate Imperial Steam? Are you a fan of Imperial? steam and you want to see my head chopped off for it uh it's like yeah i can imagine that's gonna infuriate a few people but you know it's different strokes of different folks but yeah by all means get in touch you know check out my instagram channel let's get the followers up on that there's been a lot of activity on that lately and i'm keen to push instagram as much as i can i don't do the whole tricks with the algorithm thing on there that everybody else does whatever because there's some people on there who do board games who literally have got like eight thousand followers and yet literally have posted about a hundred posts how have they got 8,000 followers with only 100 posts, which are basically just pretty pictures like anybody else does? I call shenanigans on stuff like that. There's got to be some abusing of the algorithm or some friends or something that's got to have generated that. But I don't know. There's Instagram. I don't understand how it works. But I just like putting up the old picture every now and again and talking to people because it's such a friendly community. But yeah, uh, what else? As I said, future content. I'll try and get other videos done today, although my throat is... Uh, Getting on a bit, but uh, I should be able to get the Beyond the Base game videos I mentioned done today as well. So hopefully I won't lose my voice by the time I do those. Uh, yeah, so I look forward to Baycon. If you are going to Baycon on this week, I will be there from 1 o'clock on Wednesday from the start all the way until the end on Saturday. But then on Sunday, I will probably be only be there for the morning because if all goes well, Paul Grogan and I might be doing something again. I'll let him announce it, not me, because it's his timetable, not mine, but there is a potential chance for something cool to happen there. But certainly, Wednesday to Saturday, if you're at Baycon, come and say hi, let's play some games. I haven't planned any games, I'm just going to bring a bunch along and see what happens, so uh, you want to play games with me, it's a good time to do it. A lot easier than trying to do it with large creatures, let's put it that way. So yeah, uh, until next time, I'll see you on the next episode of The Broken Meeple. Love you all, take care, and remember, as always, check out the Patreon if you can, if you want to support the channel a little bit further. Check out kiender.co.uk to get some great games at great prices uh, from a UK retailer, but yeah, I think you can purchase from them internationally as well, so kiender.co.uk, check out their site, official sponsors of the channel, alongside Zatu, it's like, you know, definitely worth checking out these people small retailers small channels i like to promote them when i can so by all means check them out thank you very much to them for sponsoring and yeah take care and i'll see you on the next episode of the broken people and remember as always it's only a game bye for now everyone